Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Little Oracles podcast, an oracle for the everyday creative. I'm Allison Arth. So I don't know about you, but I always relish the new year as a great excuse to wrap my head around what I'd like to engage with creatively and personally in the coming year and, you know, like declutter my closet and shred old paperwork and all that stuff. It's not a shocking admission. I'm aware of that. A lot of people do this, whether uh, intentionally and systematically or more whimsically, whether they call them resolutions or intentions or like I saw a lot on social media at the turn of the year, a what's in what's out list for the coming year, which I thought was kind of cool. And maybe you do this too. And maybe you, like me, hit a wall after you vision board your year. Something I've run into since the hubbub of the holidays has died down a little is that I've been feeling so much less motivated. Like, I don't know, butter scraped over too much bread, you know? <laughs> Bilba Bagginsing, you know what I mean? And feeling kind of liminal and unsettled and honestly a little overwhelmed in my creative day-to-day. -day. So to back up a little bit, at the end of 2022 and into the beginning of 2023, I poured a ton of energy into reinventing little oracles into what it is now and launching the book club and envisioning my creative year, as I just said, doing daily work tasks, resetting my home. All of that required some very sustained, very intense energy. You know this if you've ever done a creative project, right? And yeah, as someone who freelances and produces my own work as my day job, so to speak, I do have a lot of padding in my waking hours, which is a tremendous privilege. And it's a huge part of why I wanted to start this podcast and this book club and this little creative platform right now, because I do have the hours available to me and I do have the drive to create something or I guess I should say I did. And when I realized it was a past tense instead of a present tense, I knew something had to give. So you might have noticed that this episode is called Getting Good at Being Lazy. And you might also know that lazy is a loaded word, right? So let's unpack that a little. The most common connotations embedded in the word lazy are rooted in capitalism and colonialism. So on the one hand, we've got beliefs that we as a society, and I'm talking about American people in the year 2023, because that's where I come from, we have a moral imperative to be productive. And on the other hand, we've got a word that's been weaponized against marginalized communities as a way to other those communities. and you know, uphold white supremacist and paternalistic and plutocratic values. So essentially, for at least a couple hundred years in the United States of America, lazy has been the stick to the proverbial carrots of things like upward mobility and morality. It's synonymous with idle, inactive, indolent, shiftless, so not super great adjectives, really. And in a fascinating turn, Typing the word lazy on a mobile device provokes a little glyph. I don't know if you've ever done this before, but both my Pixel and my iPad auto-suggest a very cute and, as you'll see in a second, a very fraught emoji. It's a sloth. So the word lazy, according to 
my Android and Apple OSs, is embodied in the pictorial representation of a slow animal. Yeah, I get that. But also, and probably more important to our discussion here, a big-time religious offense. So sloth, as you might recall, is one of the capital, or if you want to be dramatic, which I definitely do here, deadly sins in Christian traditions, specifically Catholicism, which is arguably the most dramatic of the Christian denominations. You know, we've got the outfits, we've got opulence, we've got icons, we've got chanting and penance and ossuaries and reliquaries. And if you don't know what those last couple of things are, I suggest you look them up. It's absolutely fascinating. It's intense. It's over the top. It's mystical and magical. And at the same time, it's so deeply interested in the trappings of the physical body. As a denomination, it concerns itself with the brutality of earthly life as a foil to the effervescence of the spirit. And so it makes sense that it's big boss sins, you know, the deadly ones, are so clearly embodied, lust and wrath and gluttony, and of course, sloth, what we're talking about here. So sloth and its deadly sin drag was originally from the Greek akedia or acedia, is its Latinate form, which you might be more familiar with. And it's really a pretty faceted word, it turns out. It can take meanings like careless or without care. In the Iliad, for example, it's used to describe the heedlessness of various Trojan soldiers who guard Hector after he gets knocked over with a big rock. Ajax throws it at him. And later, it's used to describe Hector's uncared for corpse, you know, when it's kind of lying around the Achaean camp and no one's taking care of it. And sorry, spoiler alert, Hector dies in the Iliad. So acedia can take meanings like listless and indifferent, all the way to dejection. And in my research, I found out that according to classical scholar Peter Tui, it's even suggestive of depression. So moving ahead in history for our beloved Hellboy, Dante Alighieri, in his poem Purgatorio, which is kind of like the sequel to the Inferno, the contrapasso, and if you don't know that word, that's the contrapuntal punishment or the just desserts to the sin in life. So for Acedia, the contrapasso is just a game of cannibalt. The slothful are doomed to endless running to quote unquote repay their various lassitudes in life. And then when we get to Thomas Aquinas in the 1300s, Acedia transitions from kind of a more general malaise to actual repulsion by goodness. He calls it, and this is a quote here, facetiousness of the mind which neglects to being good. So Acedia or sloth is actively repelled by good deeds. And, you know, similarly, in The Seven Deadly Sins and The Four Last Things, which was painted around 1500, and it's controversially attributed to one of my favorite weirdo surrealist painters, Hieronymus Bosch, Acedia is depicted as this dude in a chair with his eyes closed and a pillow behind his head. He's got one hand in his robes, Napoleon style, and the other one is clutching a fanny pack, which is, I don't know, probably full of money. And the fire in front of him appears to be dying, and there's a nun approaching him from behind and she's got her rosary and her bible ready to go but this guy is i don't know maybe he's heedless of her ministrations maybe he doesn't care or maybe he's repulsed by them so all that said i know i've been inoculated against sloth aka laziness in a huge way thanks to all this you know long-term cultural baggage and maybe you have too so Let me tell you some of my associations, and maybe some of these will resonate with you. Laziness is selfish. Laziness is deficiency. 
Laziness is anathema to success. Laziness doesn't win competitions. Laziness is failure. So to bring it all back to my creative slump, if we can call it that, after the initial push to write and record and edit and figure out how to host and launch this podcast, plus program the book club, plus publish all the platforms, attendant little parts, building a website, writing a blog, processing and captioning and posting photos for Instagram, planning and executing marketing. I was tired. I was definitely not fired up. I was feeling like, you know, this pile of sad, cold ashes, creatively speaking. And I'd been focusing so intently on all of my lists, my reading list, my listen list, my watch list, my launch list, my general to-do list, after the adrenaline of the launch and the new year dissipated, I didn't want to engage with anything. I wanted to do the opposite. In fact, I wanted to disengage. I wanted to remove all the inputs and the draws on my time and my energy. I wanted to slow down or even shut down and do nothing. I just wanted to be lazy. But historically, I'm bad at being lazy. I bring so much baggage to that word and that state, as I've outlined here for you already. And when I try to do it, I pile on so many shoulds. I should be doing X. I should be doing Y. I should be doing Z and A and B and C. Because I don't want to embody sloth and indolence and selfishness and deficiency and idleness and all of those things that I've been taught to associate with that word. But sometimes, and especially after a big creative push, it's all I want to do. And it's all I can do, I feel like. And so contrary to everything I've been acculturated to feel when I slow down or take a break, that's what I chose to do. I chose to be lazy. I decided to shift my conception of the word and remake it and, you know, redefine it for myself. Because let's be real, who wants to let the medieval Christian patriarchy guide what we're doing in 2023? I mean, if idle hands are the devil's workshop, then all I gotta say is today, Satan, today. So as I was reprogramming myself around enacting laziness as a lifestyle experiment, I kept thinking about one of my favorite quotes of all time from the legendary P.G. Woodhouse, who wrote the Jeeves books. He once said, I know I was writing stories when I was five. I don't remember what I did before that. Just loafed, I suppose. And I think about that quote a lot, honestly, not only because I think it's hilarious just conceptually, but also because I think it shines a light on the false dichotomy that is lazy versus productive. And it kind of presages some of today's emerging social psychology work that's dismantling the construct of laziness. For reference, Devin Price is one of the key thinkers in this space. He wrote Laziness Does Not Exist, which I haven't read yet, but I've had the pleasure of listening to him discuss his theories on a handful of podcasts and YouTube videos, and it's really fascinating. And Jenny O'Dell is another author I'd recommend if you're interested in these ideas. She wrote How to Do Nothing, which I read last January, and well, it had a bit of a belated effect on me, I guess. So rather than continue to check things off my various lists and kind of peer pressure myself to 
read another book or make another post or write another blog. I listened to my inner four-year-old P.G. Woodhouse, and I chose to loaf. I just listened to my inner sloth. I didn't try to produce anything. Uh, Head empty, just vibes, I think is the phrase. And when I did this, guess what happened? I did just loaf around. I did sit on my bed and stare out the window and I snuggled my cats and I just kind of checked out of reality for indeterminate amounts of time. And let me tell you, it was incredible. It was incredible because just like all that talk about having your best ideas while you're in the shower, I'm sure you've heard that before. During this period of doing nothing or being lazy, I suddenly had all this headspace to rekindle that creative spark. I took pretty photos. I had some cool new ideas for poetry projects. I edited writing. I took down a bunch of notes for some new microfiction pieces that I want to work on. I had an idea for a comic, or maybe it's an illustrated chapbook. I don't know. It's just an idea, and that's awesome. I started cooking myself breakfast again, which I hadn't done in a while. I had an idea for a Lord of the Rings inspired embroidery project on a velour tracksuit. I also made time to move my body, which is really important to me. And I even started listening to a new podcast. It's called Thin Places Radio, and it's this beautiful, heartfelt creep fest. I love it. Check it out if you're not familiar. I also you know, I read what I wanted to read and I started really reshaping my relationship to reading. So in effect, being lazy gave me the break I needed to be creative and to get re-energized and to refocus my lens in a way. And far from being selfish or, you know, the ultimate failure state, laziness gave me latitude. It's the ebb to the flow. You know what I mean? And letting myself ebb for a little while helped me realize that embracing that slowness and that inner sloth, really being lazy, is a crucial component to my creative praxis. Laziness isn't unacceptable, it's necessary. It's ballast. It's the real contrapasso, the calm that compels the creative storm. So I said earlier that this period of laziness helped me reshape my relationship to reading. And this is where the ABC comes in. You all know that I read for language, but uh, let me tell you, I do love a good plot twist. So as part of my experiment with being lazy, I reimagined my year in terms of a cadence of creativity, generally what I'd like my creative outputs to be and what I'd like my creative inputs to be. And I realized that giving myself the permission to be lazy throughout the year at certain points was really critical to that cadence. And I thought it might be for some of you too. And in the spirit of our ABC principles, I'm exercising the right to change my mind, which is a huge gift, and I'm reworking the ABC. So instead of cataloging the 10 books from episode one during the month of January 2023, I'm going to spread those out across the year of 2023, which gives us the opportunity to read more leisurely together. And as an added bonus, it lets us spread the Immortal Beloveds list across the whole year. Now, I'll still program a reading theme for each month, and our original books will plug into each of those themes. And maybe I'll add one or two more each month for variety, but 
Honestly, I'm focused on grace and peace and redefining lazy, so we'll see. And just to reiterate, the book club is asynchronous. It's a choose-your-own-adventure scenario, so you can read along in a given month, or you can read the books whenever you can or whenever you want, and you can read all of them or one or none. Remember, what we've learned here today, 2023, can be the year of lazy. It can be the year of choosing what our creative ebb and what our creative flow is going to be. And also, if you want to use the theme that I program each month as a springboard to curate your own reading list, go for it. I program other books that I don't talk about necessarily on the podcast and that I don't include as part of the book club around a specific theme every month. And you could do the same thing. You can use that theme as a prompt to guide your own reading. And even if you do that, we still want you to be part of the ABC community. And speaking of the community, one of the most exciting things about spreading the initial list across the entire year is that it gives us an opportunity to pick two more books to round out the 12 months of the year. And that means I need your help. And let me tell you how you can help me. So during my days of lazy, I started a Discord server for Little Oracles. It's currently invite only, but if you want to join our little community to talk about book club books or any other creative stuff, we have a handful of channels for cross-media, cross-genre chats. All you have to do is follow at Little Oracles on Instagram and then send me a DM saying that you want to join the Discord and I'll send you the invite link. So I hope you'll join us and help pick some more beloved reads for the ABC for the coming year. So let's talk about February's reading theme. It's going to be a heartbreaker, love taker, dream maker, etc. And it's inspired by a few cultural curios that have been rattling around in my head. They're like this witchy little gang that I think about a lot. So let me tell you about that and then I'll reveal the theme to you. First, among these weird sisters, it's Valentine's Day. I'm not going to lie to you. I really like Valentine's Day. <laughs> I know that is a deeply polarizing statement, but I I like it. I love the kitsch of it. And yeah, I'm not super enthused by reckless consumerism and the pressure to confess deep feelings to whomst ever just because Hallmark says you should. But I do love the idea of telling people you love that you love them and why you love them. And if there's a cute, campy little holiday that offers an excuse to do that, I'm going to be all in. Second, if you watched WandaVision on Disney+, Plus, you, like me, may have wept like a literal baby when Vision said to Wanda, what is grief, if not love, persevering? I'll just let that one sink in for a little bit. So there's that quote, and it goes hand in glove with the third influence on this month's book club theme, another quote I've recently committed to memory from the Thin Places radio podcast. It's episode four, and the line is, sometimes a ghost is just a well-worn groove dug in by time and love. And finally, to round out my strange little coven here, the White Stripes song, Little Ghost. Do you know this song? It's about a person who falls in love with a ghost and can't hold her or touch her and laments the fact that they're earthbound until further notice, basically. Uh, the chorus goes, little ghost, little ghost, when I'm scared of the most, can you scare me up a little bit of love? I'm the only one that sees you, and I can't do much to please you. 
and it's not yet time to meet the Lord above. So to recap, we've got Valentine's Day, some quotes about love and ghosts and grief, and a song about someone who's in love with a ghost. And all of that comes together to create our February ABC theme, which is Grief is a Ghost, Heartbreak, Hope, and Spiritual Salvage. So I wanted to curate some books that capture the longing and the loneliness that come along with love and grief. Basically, the things that hang around or line the walls or steam up the mirror or whatever spectral affect you'd like to imagine these big emotional concepts might take. So the books I've picked for this month are The Lesser Bohemians by Amor McBride from our original set. It's a coming-of-age story. Uh, it's a love story, and it centers on a young woman in 1990s London. And it's written in Amor McBride's signature, trippingly poetic style, and it's going to be the core book for the month of February. I'm also going to throw in two collections of short stories. The first one is Heartbroke by Chelsea Beaker. It's a book I've had on my list for a long time. They're short stories that trade in love and loss, all set in California. Library Journal says it's full of strife, but sprinkled with sanguine glimpses of optimism and ambition. And the second book is kind of on the nose vis-a-vis -vis our theme. It's Ghost Lover by Lisa Tadeo, who wrote Three Women. That was one of my favorite reads of 2021. The stories in Ghost Lover are lightly linked from what I understand. They revolve around a group of women who run and or use a texting app that acts as a kind of go-between Cyrano de Bergerac between users and their crushes. Kirkus calls the stories intense little gems about a world of people cooler and more attractive than we are. So it sounds like if you're into cool girl slash sad girl slash ennui girl fiction, this might be a good match for you. And nota bene here, uh, Lisa Tadeo's writing can get pretty raw and graphic, so definitely look into trigger warnings for this book if you're sensitive to trauma or grief-driven content. And honestly, for all of these books, I obviously haven't read them before I put them on the list, so I can't tell you any of the content warnings from personal experience. So I really encourage you to do a little bit of research on your own and get that information before you open a book that might not be a safe or enjoyable experience for you. And that's it with these new alterations to the ABC, these slow alterations, these lazy alterations. I do hope that we can read more together and really savor the experience and embrace slowness and intention and grace and just being cute little sloths. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you've heard, give us a subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you're interested in more creative content and my signature big book energy, head over to the blog at littleoracles.com and follow along on Instagram at littleoracles. And as always, take care, keep creating, and stay divine. As the great Burt Bacharach once wrote, 
what the world needs now is love, sweet love. Oh no, my cat's snoring. 